How and why do people disappear? If you brought somebody in to help you disappear, have you actually disappeared? We will deal with missing persons on a daily basis, so we're the national experts. Every year, over 300,000 reports of a missing person are made to the police. Even if you're not doing anything wrong, you're being watched. You'll go missing and we'll allow anything it. Anything that, that you're, you're doing, doing you're basically We are perfectly capable of holding on to important secrets. Who here has an iPhone? Your duly elected representatives have been consistently in Could somebody go missing without a trace? I'm not sure. Our laptops, we dream on them. I'm Tim Weaver, author of the David Raker series. Over the course of Missing, I'll be investigating how people can vanish in the 21st century and how we find them again. Join me as I speak with experts in forensics, human behaviour, surveillance and investigation, and we look into the art of disappearance. Last week's episode marked the halfway point in our series. In it, I found out that the UK is home to 20% of the world's surveillance cameras and that one of the goals of agencies and governments worldwide is the ubiquitous biometric, basically creating a database filled with information on your unique physical characteristics. Your fingerprints, your eyes, your face, even something as seemingly innocuous as the distance between your nose and mouth. That's a few years off yet, but it's coming, and the technology to make it happen is already here. Given that, you'd think it would be harder than ever to disappear, but as we've been talking about over the course of the series, people still manage it. Over two and a half thousand people a year, in fact. So let's assume that you make that leap, and you avoid the pitfalls of the data trail, biometrics and mobile phones, and you end up as part of that 1% that vanishes without trace. What then? As someone who disappears people for a living, at least within the pages of my books, I've constantly tried to imagine what it might be like to spend life on the run. This week, there's no imagination required, because this week, I find out. Well, let me start. Let me start. The big mistake is people forget and don't realize that our laptops, we dream on them, okay? I spoke to Frank Ahern, author of How to Disappear. While I might vanish people in my books, he does it for real. And so they might have started typing in, like, you know, Cayman Islands and looking at photos of Cayman Islands, what apartments were costing Cayman Islands, you know, and banks in Cayman Islands, airfare in Cayman Islands. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple of weeks go by and maybe a month or two goes by, and then they realize they need to disappear. And they're thinking... I'm going to go to the Cayman Islands. They forgot that they never, ever, they forgot that they searched the Cayman Islands two months before on their home computer, on their cell phone, or their work computer or something like that. So they left the digital trail and they'll be located because of that information. Quinn Norton is a technology journalist who has written for Wired, The Atlantic and more. The one that really, that's caught a few of my sources is just eventually just telling enough people some piece of data that identifies you, you know, telling them that you were at a certain place at a certain time may cut you down from being one of 2 billion people to being one of 167 people or something like that. And then it starts to get much easier to hone in and narrow down. 
there's a digital hygiene, but there's also a conversational hygiene that has to go with it. You have to keep that legal identity completely separate from the identity that you take online and not start talking about how many kids you have or when sun rises. I've seen someone de-anonymized by talking about the sun coming up. And that was able to place them in, you know, along a specific line of, of cities inside the U.S. So the question of keeping a technical hygiene and a social hygiene, the people who do that, I have never seen them easily caught. You know, they'll pull the IP addresses. So the big problem, I call it this dream aspect just dreaming about getting away, but you're creating the foot trail, the footprint there. And after the fact, you know, when people are disappeared, two problems is sticking to communications, meaning that they don't deviate from how they call their family. You know, you, you can never call them from a place you can be identified from. You can never, you know, email them from a straight up email from your apartment. And the, the other major problem is who do you meet? You can't tell them you disappeared. You can't meet somebody in the bar and say, hey, guess what? I disappeared. They may hate you in two months from now and look you up online, might find your photos. Next thing you know, they're tweeting to like 10,000 people. Guess what? You know, Jenny's living in Ohio. So that's one of the big problems after the fact is, is building. A, how do you build a life with balance? And you don't let everybody know that you're on the run or off the grid or something like that. Previously, you talked about how you could disappear someone in 30 days, but what about if it takes longer? What makes it take longer? Is it down to assets or is it down to it taking a longer period of time to educate them? Yeah, the education process is probably the most difficult part because there's just so many questions. Well, what if somebody asked me this? What if somebody asked me that? You know, and I'm pointing like, you know, listen, never lied. I mean, don't ever say you're from Des Moines, Iowa, because if you've never been there, you know, and somebody says to you, hey, you know the famous ice cream shop there? And you say, no, you look like an idiot and you look like you're lying. So there are like kind of like these parameters that I build for people depending on who they are. You know, never go outside these parameters of lying. Keep it simple and keep it stupid. So it's all part of the, the education, I suppose, you're talking about. I have to teach somebody how to lie. I mean, you'd be like shocked. Somebody says, I have to lie to people? I'm like, you're disappearing. Some guy's going to kill you with an ax. Yes, you have to lie. And you have to get used to it and you have to be smart about it. You know, you can't lie and say you're an astronaut. You know, you have to, you have to lie within reason. Frank talks about not turning yourself into an astronaut, but is it actually possible to completely reinvent yourself? I spoke to Nigel Blackwood, a forensic psychiatrist at King's College London. There's no doubt that new experience and new thoughts uh, change our brain structure and function. Uh, but I think, of course, we have a basic set of genetic underpinnings, a basic personality structure. We are somewhat limited in the ability to reinvent ourselves, but that's not to say that there can't be very important psychological shifts that are made either internally or through a process of therapy, 
uh, or through transformative experiences that have the ability to shift our perspective and the way we think about our internal states and thereby experience the world. But we're nevertheless left with a very strong genetic brain underpinnings of ourselves. Would you have to take a very conscious decision to, to disguise who you were and to, to kind of reinvent yourself? Yes, I mean, that's the, the liberating thing, I suppose, for anyone thinking about addressing some of these issues through psychological or psychotherapeutic work is the sense of that change is possible. That's also the the notion just of the psychological pressure of the secret, the other life, and the extent to which people differ in their ability to hold on to secrets. And at times it can be overwhelming and particular perhaps in the sense of new intimate relationships, that there's a desire to be newly authentic, newly truthful within that relationship and to reveal our closest held secrets. So perhaps in the context of somebody who's gone uh, off radar, who establishes a new intimate relationship, it's perhaps in those circumstances that it will be very difficult to hold on to this set of secrets about the past because there is the drive for authenticity uh, however, there are clearly plenty of people who maintain secrets throughout their lives and have a number of completely unknown behaviours or unknown others in their lives that are only revealed after their death. Um, so we are perfectly capable of holding on to uh, important secrets across our lives without divulging them uh, for many different psychological reasons. In your opinion, would it be possible for someone to take the decision to disappear and stay completely disappeared from a psychological point of view, I suppose? I think there's absolutely no doubt people are capable of doing that. Some people are going to be tormented by the loss of those social links from the past, have a desperate desire to see these people again, to be with them, to understand how they've developed, where they've got to, and they'll really struggle with the idea of being entirely separate from their pasts. But there are those lower emotional states, uh, lower emotionality rather, somewhat lacking in conscience perhaps, uh, less empathic, less prone to guilt, who would find it easier to completely cut off from a past. So Nigel believes it's possible to disappear, although it's easier if you're lacking in conscience and empathy. But Quinn Norton, who we spoke to earlier, is connected with a world where disappearances happen on a regular basis. As a tech journalist, she has become an expert in covering information security and hacker culture and maintains regular contact with hacking groups like Anonymous, whose members stay off the grid with apparent ease. The desire to disappear uh, is, is there. It's not uh, universal. People want to have control over their identity online. And a lot of what we're talking about when we talk about disappearing isn't not being there. It's not necessarily being there as you, as you the legal identity. Um, now, for some people, they, they feel like they're more there as them when they're 
in uh, a pseudonymic identity, like that's their true self. Uh, so, so for some people, burying their legal self is about being able to live as their true self. Uh, for others, uh, it's about staying physically safe in the behaviors that they want to uh, partake in. It's not just to do with how good you are at protecting your identity and making sure, you know, doing the due process in terms of uh, data hygiene. It's also human behavior in a way and psychology. Absolutely. And you have to be ultra, ultra disciplined to kind of live that sort of lifestyle. Well, I think with any kind of separation of identity, you have to kind of keep that, you know, most of the people that get caught just tell someone and that someone eventually ends up being the weak point in what they're doing. I think for the people that I've seen who are really successful at this, there is some discipline to it, but a lot of it is just putting that other person out of your mind. It's not a secret. It's just not who you are right now. It's no coincidence that Quinn mentions mental discipline. Frank mentioned it, Nigel mentioned it, and I've seen it crop up consistently during the research stages of my books where people have talked to me about the processes of being and staying disappeared. But is there a silver bullet? Is there a tactic that makes vanishing easier? I think the most successful people I've seen have not been the fully anonymous, they've been the pseudo-anonymous. They're able to build reputations, they're able to engage socially, but they do so as a different person. And that's really, really handy. It allows you to kind of participate in culture in a useful way. The problem is cross-connecting any kind of life in the legal realm with your life online. So a lot of that goes back to both using technologies like Tor, like VPNs, being careful about your digital security and the marks you leave, but it's also this kind of a, this very behavioral discipline about remembering that you're not that person that you are when you turn the computer off. You're just not connected to that person, and you're not going to tell any of that person's details to the people you're talking to. And I suppose, again, that comes down to human flaws uh, more than the technological flaws talking to people, especially an organization like Anonymous, where they are performing a lot of high-risk strategy. The importance of kind of keeping everything quiet is paramount. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I've spent a lot of time dealing also with people who are kind of dealing with those human flaws. It's this very, very difficult thing. What I've seen some people do is just invent an offline person and communicate about that person. Like, you have no kids and you say you have two kids. You have three kids and you say you have two kids. So it's kind of like inventing a person so you can have those conversations that feel like you're part of that but it's not ever going to come back to you the information doesn't identify you what quinn is talking about here is a bit like what frank was talking about at the beginning it's about existing in a world of lies accepting them getting used to them making them a part of who you are could you do that could you lie to everyone all day if that's what it took to stay disappeared so a lot of this is about the trade-off. It's pretty easy to disappear permanently if you're actually willing to just live in the woods full-time. And there's kind of an internet version of that. If you're willing to live without the conveniences of the modern internet, if you're willing to give up JavaScript websites, if you're willing to give up easy-to-use computers with lots of fun bells and whistles, if you don't get to look at the same pictures and movies everyone else does, it's actually much easier to stay safe from, uh, from bugs, viruses, and direct attacks in that situation. It's never flawless, but it's easier. 
So given all that, do you think the internet makes it harder to disappear? In a way, but it's also easier than it's ever been. And it goes to those trade-offs. What's more difficult is having your cake and eating it too. So if you're willing to give up on watching YouTube videos and participating in Facebook, it gets a lot easier to be anonymous. You can participate in culture as an anonymous person now instead of living in the woods. And that was never true before. So on that level, it's easier to be anonymous than it's ever been. It's easier to disappear than it's ever been because you can just invent a new person. And then if that person isn't working out, you can invent another new person and you can keep doing that. Uh, and as long as you've got the technical acumen to run a safe computer and to understand the bits of the internet that you can and can't participate in, like modern browsers and so on and so forth, you can keep doing that and you can keep being part of the world and part of discourse but still have essentially your legal self vanished. And that's hard. And that's, uh, and that's where people get caught because they're humans and humans like to talk to people and they like to trust each other and they like to love each other. Do you think it's actually possible for someone to completely disappear and never be found? Yes, and I think it happens consistently. There's black markets, economies all over the world. People exist in them. Some people don't just vanish. They were never found in the first place. They've always lived in that Sub Rosa world. Uh, and I don't think that's going to go away. And, uh, and there, there will, at least for the foreseeable future, the future I can possibly foresee, always be ways. The problem for most people is that they don't want to vanish. They want to drop some part of their identity but keep other parts. And that's where the trade-off comes and that's where the danger comes. If you really, really want to walk away and never know anyone again, you can. It takes some training. It takes some work. But almost no one wants to do that. We're a social animal. One thing that seems obvious from this week's episode is that life on the run is hard. Given everything we've found out over the past five weeks, I don't think that comes as much of a surprise, but for me, it really brings home some of the biggest issues behind staying disappeared. Would you find it hard to dump your mobile phone, close your social media accounts and move to a forest in the middle of nowhere? Of course you would. I would too. But I wouldn't find it half as hard as severing all ties with anyone I ever met or liked or loved, and even that might be easier than trying to maintain a lie. Because if there's a takeaway from this week's episode, it's that your options on the run are limited. In essence, they come down to two things. You live alone and sever all contact with other human beings, or you lie all day, every day, about everything. Stop and think about that for a moment. How easy do you think that would be? Maintaining a series of lies for a week or a month, that's possible. Keeping those same lies consistent for the rest of your life. Remembering what they were, where you applied them, which lie you told which person. Well, that's a whole lot harder. In fact, a part of me thinks it's probably impossible. Sooner or later, something won't tally up, a lie won't match and someone will notice. And what then? Do you disappear again, or do you sit tight and hope for the best? Perhaps the only way we can answer that is by looking back, 
by examining what worked before, what didn't, and why. If history is the way we learn, what can old cases teach us about missing people, their behaviour, their successes, and their failures? Next week on Missing. Servants in the household of a wealthy merchant called Jacob Enriquez noticed a sort of smell in the, in the basement. They found a barrel, and within the barrel, when it was prized open, they found the body of a woman. We go behind the scenes at the Crime Museum, a metropolitan police museum rarely open to the public. <laughs>